Hello and welcome to The Ponderer. My name is Aaron and on today's podcast I'll be attempting to discuss masculinity and the connection problem. Stay tuned. In this episode, there are going to be many generalizations and just random groupings. There's always an exception to a generalization and usually a stereotype, but for this episode, I challenge you not to listen to it thinking of yourself as the exception, but rather thinking of yourself as the one this is uniquely made for. Also, a lot of today's info will be coming from the book, The Friendless American Male by David Smith along with many other sources that I'm going to forget to mention, so I'll bring it up here. And of course, mixed in with all those things are my own opinions and thoughts. So jumping into today's topic, let's lay the groundwork for every human being that's ever existed. Don't care if you're an introvert, an extrovert, a female, a male, live in a city or a farm, all people need human connection, right? We all need each other to be connected with one another to socialize Uh, we need this interaction between people we are a social species and as i mentioned in the friends episode or the friendship episode females tend to have been taught this at an early age this connection this bond or this way of connecting with one another seems to be a bit more innate or forthcoming to them it's taught in school sometimes, in the social settings, in the household perhaps, and even through media like movies, television, and social media. But males often have a difficult time learning this. This skill or this training does not come naturally or easily. It's not mentioned in our day-to-day culture. But before we get to the nitty-gritties of what that means, how that affects us, and the reasons for it, I think we need a first look at some of the history to gain a better perspective. So if we go back in history, we begin to see where male connection, uh, male-to-male connection seems to diverge, and where the American culture deviates. So if we go back throughout history, and I'm not going to use a bunch of dates, we'll just go generally here, In the past, we used to have better training between males. Uh, There were more social paragons that trained young men. There were apprenticeships. So that's, you know, at the age of, in sort of Renaissance times, you'd, at the age of 13, go off to be an apprentice of someone. This kind of second father figure would take you in teach you everything you need to know. You do his dirty work, his menial tasks, and eventually he'll uh, bring you up as, you know, a successor, basically. A blacksmith, perhaps. And that was sort of a, like, training and a male bonding experience and um, and so on. And sort of like a, a growing up experience as well in adolescence. You know, there's tribal ceremonies where young men would have to go out and, like, kill a lion or a panther or whatever and that was their kind of growing up ceremony. There was this brotherhood, the hunters of the tribe that was going on. 
but that sort of system no longer exists in the widespread culture. It's kind of been replaced with individualism and competition or social Darwinism, if you want to call it. And it has left us quite separate from one another. It's lonely at the top is kind of the idea here. At one point in time in America's history, you know, skipping, I guess, hundreds of years here into America's history, if we take a look at the Homestead Act, the United States was giving out plots of land like candy on Halloween, just chucking them out to whoever had working limbs, basically, and was a man. You want it? Here you go. You want it? Here you go. Uh, sign this and get out there. Uh, it was a wild time. And so the frontiersmen would, you know, grab what they had. Sometimes they're single, single young men, having acres of land now to themselves to, you know, properly tend to. And so they'd get these lands, build their houses, build their farm or whatever, and they would just be out there alone by themselves, perhaps uh, with a, a young wife and a couple kids. Let's say that's the case. They're, they're kind of like that. The kind of nuclear family out on a farm uh, in the middle of the country after the Louisiana Purchase, people are just out there, right? Miles from their neighbor, basically, because they have this new plot of land that they have to take care of. So in the day, the men go out, or the father, maybe maybe some of the boys, go out and tend to the fields, right? Collect whatever, harvest whatever. And at the end of the day, they come home to you know, their wife and probably some of the daughters and that's the structure we're seeing, right, in that family household. If we take just like a little second here to look at it, that's a really lonely kind of existence, but one we're kind of familiar in our heads. Oh, the nuclear family, alone by themselves, we may call independent and living the American dream, right? On their own, doing their own thing, making success as it comes, right? Uh, trying to, you know, make do with what they got. But this sort of lifestyle carried on from the Frontiers days. Back in the Frontier era or the Homestead Act kind of, you know, building of America, there was no internet. There was no neighbors, really, because they were miles and miles away. It was just the nuclear family. So they only had each other. So they had to rely on one another to, you know, survive but also for their social life. It was just them. So the fathers were basically left optionless, unable to talk to another male adult until their sons grew up. But, at, you know, once they grew up, they might leave the farm or um, take over or whatever. It's not, the, it's not quite equal, right? It's, it's a bit of a downward thing, and it's its whole other um, part. But the frontiersman culture of this, you know, provider, man, guy, is alone with his family, just just him, no other connections, no other forms or places to divulge his, you know, I don't know, burdens of the day. Uh, his wife is the only one, relatively his age, usually, that understands him somewhat or has some sort of, you know, peer relationship. And so we've carried that culture way past the frontiersmen days and clung on to it somewhat to this very day. I think we can see that there's an obviously 
an obvious lacking in this system. It's alone. Yeah, it's the family, but there's really no one else accompanying them. There's no community. There's literally just them on a plot of land. You can imagine just an Oklahoma field with one house and, you know, five people in it. It's not it's not the best, you know, it's it they kind of had to make do for their time, right? It was the situation they made do. They got on with it, right? But since we don't live in that sort of a time anymore, none of us are living like that or are forced to live like that, we have the options of spreading out and to reach out to other people. And so we'll, we'll get to that again a little bit later. But first, I want to look at, uh, I guess, some reasons why that culture has even persisted to this very day. I think it was, you know, in my eyes, it was born out of, you know, necessity, right? Like I just said, but also it was normalized. It was latched onto and even romanticized at some points, you know, with Westerns. And we begin to, you know, make stories of, you know, this kind of lifestyle. It's, and like I said, I alluded to is it's kind of the American dream to, you know, be out your own, independent, making, you know, a living and whatnot and, and, and doing that whole shebang. Moving out to the suburbs is a, just a, a different form of that, right? And so everyone's kind of locked into their sort of a corner of the of the neighborhood, their corner of the world or whatever. And, you know, it's just become so, you know, we don't even realize it at this point. It's just become nature to us. It's just the way that our parents did it and the way their parents did it and so on and so on. And we And we even have in media these you know, examples of this or sort of overstatements of this culture. There are, you know, the lone ranger or the lone wolf archetype, you know, reinvented over and over again for each generation. We have, you know, so many characters that kind of embody this unfortunate, sad, solo male archetype. You know, even Batman, you know, Batman, out of all all characters, really, you know, so beloved by many, maybe one of the most famous superheroes ever created, you know, has a pitiful social life with other males in connection. You think about it, he has Alfred, who's basically his father figure, right? And whom, in some cases, he disrespects, I think, depending on what cartoon you're seeing or what movie. And then he has, like, sons, basically, which are Robin, right? It's not his biological, but they're meta- his metaphorical sons, right? Robin... And all the different versions of Robins, even like a bat girl or whoever. All all like basically his children, his bat family. And then you have like his co-worker, which is like Superman. He doesn't, you know, love Superman. In the, in the cartoon I'm thinking of, he's kind of like, you know, kind of grumpy. You know, Batman's a bit grumpy and then Superman's kind of the, the chipper, like, I don't know, Boy Scout kind of character. And he's, you know not he's just a coworker. he's not like his best friend or anything he's like yeah let's get the job done and that's kind of his his attitude towards superman you know batman is all about being kind of paranoid and being prepared for things so he's alone and he's kind of this dark you know brooding character another example of this is one of my favorite characters of all time i mentioned it previously as well in a different episode uh wolverine the the guy with claws, yeah, the three ones out of his three like swords coming out of his hand, yeah, that guy too 
much like I described in the, the other episode, is he's a loner by himself, kind of angry, grumpy, doesn't have any friends. Well, the friends he do, does have, it's not like they understand him or he really relates to or connects with. No. It's always just for work. Just for getting the job done. Because a mission pulls them together. And they usually even in those movies have to convince him to help. Because it's the state of the world. And you know, the, the world is ending, so we really need you. So come on and let's do it. There's really no connection there besides necessity. If we look at media again, we see that the only sort of male bonding or male group experiences um, tend to come in the form of Fight Club or the Dead Poet Society. The two main movies that I can think of um, that have this sort of brotherhood or um, large group of guys being quite, you know, vulnerable with one another and kind of making this bonding experience. There there are some, I guess, other like war movies that kind of diverge into that. And, and that is a, that is a way that, you know, men come to bond. It's a very rigorous way, but I, I do acknowledge that that's sort of out there as well. I'm, I'm kind of breezing over that because I, I don't know much about those movies, but, um, other than those two examples that I mentioned, the only other times I see kind of men and the male, I guess, strictly male, like relationships, like um, that are that are close and 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 vulnerable and and seem like true friendships are kind of like Sam and Frodo from The Lord of the Rings, which you know I didn't really even see until I was an adult, but. You know, that that's a example of somewhat of a friendship that goes deeper than, you know, work. I mean, they are on a mission, and, you know, work is deeply involved, I think, with male relationships. But theirs seems to go much further than that. And that's what I like about their relationship is, like, yeah, they are really good friends, I think, by the end of that movie or by the three-fourths mark. Um, they've definitely built something. And that's just in fiction, you know. Not even in fiction do we really like to explore the male, male-on-male, you know, friendships and deep, close relationships. Uh, it's, it's. I think it's really skipped over. As I guess my point is, it's really skipped over and, and not glorified in our media, which is, you know, our, our media tries to glorify or wants to glorify, or we ourselves want to see, you know relationships of the strong, you know, solo character who is, you know, does it all and is master of all and, and, and doesn't need any help and doesn't want to, you know, even divulge, um, you know, more than he has to and and is just, you know, co-workers with these other guys. And, you know, like I, like I said, those other characters exemplify, you know, the lone ranger, the lone wolf sort of... Um, archetype and if i really try and think about places or people where you know men cry together i think it's been mentioned before is you know sports sports arenas the only place where men cry together is sports arenas and now i'm not saying like you know everyone should cry with one another but like this is a obvious display of negative emotions of 
feeling a feeling of loss, you know, in in this investment into this team. And if they're a failure, that means, you know, that's that's saddening. And so that's the only place in real life that I've seen where men get to cry together. You know, and it's socially acceptable. Otherwise, that's odd, right? Seeing two dudes crying together, you know? We have, like, jokes in, in movies and I guess in maybe in, like, comedy where it's like, I'm not crying, I'm just sweating from my eyes. A cover-up, you know, for emotion. We're not crying, we're not having an emotional response. You know, guys are emotionless, right? I think that's, for some reason, the ideal. My, uh, I had a friend whom, in his younger years, really, really identified with this. Like, he was, I don't think he was made like that, but he was really trying to embody the characters that I just described. He was, you know, trying to be emotionless. He was basically a person who always wanted to seem like he had his cards in order, um, no matter what, you know. And we're humans, and he was pretty young back then, so we could always point out where he was going wrong, where he was being kind of silly or... Uh, unreasonable or um, missed something, but he would never admit it, right? He'd never admit it. He'd always put up a strong front and be like, no, you know, I, I meant to do that and make up some sort of reasoning or excuse for what he had done. And we all knew this was just his facade, his MO, and it was like, okay, well, that's him. But really, I think he was, you know, truly trying to be what he wanted to be, which was this ideal image of what a man would. And he, he'd kind of, you know, make comments like man up and stuff like that. And kind of, he was, you know, kind of doubling down on this macho idea. And so we, you know, we saw that, but um, he was pretty committed for like many, many years. And that was just how we knew him. Um, eventually he kind of walked away from that. But um, to me, that stands out in my mind because he really was this person, you know, like really close to me, like a real life living example of someone who was trying their hardest to live out this ideal. And it didn't work out for him. He couldn't do it. It was impossible. And not only that, I don't think it was beneficial for him. We all saw him as kind of stoic, untouchable, off-putting at times. And uncomfortable to be around and I don't think it was good for him personally either he was clogging up his emotions wasn't expressing himself properly I don't think it was you know beneficial for his his you know internals right his his own kind of psyche and his own uh, mind was you know so fixated on being strong and independent and you know, without weakness that uh, it truly caused him, I think, inner turmoil. It made him a bit of an iceberg, alone, by himself, unrelatable, I guess is the key here, unrelatable, right? He made himself untouchable in some ways. And so if we look um, at culture and at this history, I think it becomes a bit more clear why, you know, Men do not share with other men. Men, um, again, generally, uh, don't share emotions. And 
never leave the surface level, uh, only sharing about, you know, work or play, you know, what they are working on, what they're good at, or what their, uh, their next project is, and, you know, what they do on the weekends, basically, right? That's what male conversations are typically relegated to. And maybe like, you know, some careless jokes here and there, but not much of the rest, right? And I don't know a place where men get together to talk about their problems other than AA meetings. The way I see it, you know, men right now, you know, as a, you know, in this culture, in this society are kind of becoming, growing up and, and learning the culture of being alone isolated, emotionally unintelligent, and unavailable to other men. And just to add, you know, some, another piece into this, like, because of that, and the way, you know, we raise young men now to be these emotionless, workaholic, standalone things, we also promote, in some ways, the idea that the woman is the only social relationship that a male needs, right? The movies all kind of portray it. Once they get a girlfriend, they're out of there, right? Happily ever after, homestead, like I'm saying, it was just the wife. Like, we're looking at sort of media and culture and just typically what in the past has been done. And females have been the only steady, you know, vulnerable relationships that males have had or been acceptable to have, right? That's the only relationship they get. You know, we see that, I've seen it in my life with the, the friend who gets a girlfriend and stops hanging out with the boys. That's a meme. That was a meme or is. At any point, like, it's made fun of because it's so common. Because everyone knows that one guy or maybe a few guys or maybe it's normalized. It's so prevalent that you know that's the the training basically that's the that's the fore, foreground for you know the 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 actual thing to take place and you know in marriage or whatever relationship that occurs after but outside of that relationship you know that guy fails and in generally men fail to dive deep into relationships i think because our training and our culture is lacking. We don't, we don't push ourselves or expect ourselves to make friends with other guys, you know, in our adult life or in basically in, in college and high school is kind of like the only, the last part you see of that. But into adulthood, it's, it's a pretty lonely road. It doesn't seem that great, you know. David Smith in his book sums it up to a couple of points, which I've kind of altered to, I think, update them, but also so that they're in more agreement in what I've been seeing. First off is the, you know, aversion, like I said, to emotion. And I'll put it in this way, not only like the aversion to emotions, but like it's the aversion to share those emotions. It's the aversion to uh, have those emotions or negative emotions. And it's an aversion or an unwillingness to, you know, say that with others, to be, you know, vulnerable with others, to show 
what one might call weakness, but I don't think that's the case with vulnerability. I think it's actually a great strength, but that's, I guess, a discussion for another time. And, you know, secondly, the inability to fellowship is what Smith calls it, you know, uh, and I'll give a definition for it is kind of like this inability to connect deeply, to get serious, you know, to get uncomfortable, to relate and to uh, beyond a surface level. So we'll, we'll kind of call it that or give that as a definition. Kind of like I mentioned, very, the conversations between men, very brief, usually about work or play, right? This whole idea of not really getting serious. Oh, it's just all jokes. Oh, we're just, you know, dudes shooting the breeze, right? It's all funny games. Uh, thirdly, well, I'll put in my own here, which is, you know, individualism. You know, making decisions, you know, for oneself, one's own interest in mind, regardless of the other. Um, you can also, I guess, sort of put it towards selfishness, but I think that's a characteristic all human beings have, and it's not particularly, but it's kind of underneath this. Um, yeah, it's all about what's best for the individual rather than the community or the collective. You know, what's best for my career, my journey, my path. I think that's praised a lot of times in our in our culture now. It's like, do what's best for you. I get that. But in some cases, there's, you know, a distinct lacking in thought about the collective, thought about the group, or about what would be best for, you know, binding us together instead of separating us. What actions could, you know, promote, you know, bonding and connection between people rather than, I don't feel like it, I don't care, I'm out of here, not coming with you guys to whatever you're doing, right? So there's, there's, there's some times where, you know, this... I'll put like quote unquote care for ourselves becomes detrimental to some other things. And so moving on to the fourth point here, lacking in help. I think we often lack help because not because it isn't there, but it's because we're often too prideful or embarrassed or lazy in our approach you know sometimes i think guys feel that i think that's we're human right like i said we're human we need human connection we need this bond between people and the bond between males you know is one that's been historically there but now in the past couple hundred years has been you know diminishing and so i think males feel that desire for connection but are often not able to ask for help because it may be embarrassing right I've never done this before they kind of feel awkward or weak doing it maybe a lot of laziness like uh it's kind of there but i don't know i don't really you know i don't know how i don't know excuses are made don't want to ask for help is you know another reason feel like you know they'll figure it out eventually but really do they ever you know, and lastly is like unknown priorities. The falling to the bottom of the list, basically, you know, prioritizing many other things work, you know, I guess 
recreation and physical exercise and uh, romantic relationships all above, you know, friendship and particularly male friendships. It falls to the bottom of the list because it's like, really, do I need to care about that or should I care about that or whatever, you know, if they call, they call. If they don't, I, I won't either, right? This kind of uh, equal reciprocal uh, ignoring or this laziness again or this uh, unimportance, this this nonchalant unimportance like, oh, you know, if it's there, maybe. If it's not, whatever, right? This uh, nonchalantness about it. Those seem to be some of the major reasons why men or guys don't hang out with guys or don't, you know, bond in that sort of way. I see the problem being, you know, practice, effort, and cultural expectations. Diving a bit more into my own experience, you know, before I kind of learned this or kind of thought about it, you know, I was just, I guess, a piece of the culture as well, doing exactly what um, I described, not really going deep, but I think in particular for me, I always had a deep longing for, you know, friendship and connection in general and, you know, to be understood and vulnerable in that way. So I had an affinity for it. I didn't know what to call it. I didn't even have the, the words for it, you know, as I was young. I, I just knew that I wanted to, you know, feel this way, to feel connected, to feel known. And so as my relationships, you know, with my friends, with my guys, you know, uh, developed, it became clear that this culture was present, that, you know, we weren't going to speak about those things, or if it was, it was relegated to be like, uh, kind of short, brief, or uh, undescriptive. Again, I think, you know, some of the problem here is that like, we don't even have the verbiage, the words, the vernacular to really describe our emotions like many people aren't taught this and i think that goes for men and women but it seems to me that i've met a lot of guys who are just you know working with the three sets of uh the three primary i guess emotions happy sad angry i don't know why but that's sort of the only three that men get you can be happy sad or angry and it's going to be like 70% happy or just showing of, you know, generally good emotions. And then, you know, 20% will be angry and then 10% will be sad. And no one gets to see that 10%. Like, no, like, and angry, you better keep it in check or else, you know, you're going uh, down a bad, a bad path, right? So it just, we were, we, I feel like we were using just elementary words and, you know, as I talked to some of my guy friends, I kind of became the person to speak about things with. And so I began to ask my friends, you know, to elaborate or to use a different word, or maybe I'd hand them a couple of different words that I heard once upon a time and see if that works for them. And oftentimes it did, or it would, exp they would explain more of what they felt and I could you know, interpret better, but it really wasn't clear via their own language, what they were feeling going through thinking about and so there's there's many blockages right it's not just one thing like the initiative the initiative to start is not the only problem it's the actual act of 
you know, bonding with one another in that way that is still difficult, even when two dudes do get involved in that sort of way. It is difficult. And I didn't know how to build that sort of build on top of or grow that sort of relationship until much later in my kind of journey. I always thought that connection was somewhat elusive, that it was something that took, you know, the alignment of the stars. It took um, the right timing. It was something a bit out of my hands. It was something that I didn't know how to do. I didn't know how to foster it. No one really taught me how to do that until a couple friends taught me how, and, and, and I'll get into it. You know, it was actually, you know, my female friends whom taught me how to foster better connections with my guy friends, oddly enough, right? I remember a time I was doing an errand with one of my friends, and we started to talk about our social lives, and I aired that, you know, I was lacking in male friendships, and uh, she was she was thoughtful about it and came in a in a probing manner not to you know offend me but just to gain more info and i basically shared like yeah i don't know i just don't feel it with these guys you know we hang out we uh me play a couple games together you know talk a uh, talk some shop but that's it you know we don't we don't really connect and i was you know a person who wanted that connection so she kind of just asked me like have you hung out with these guys like really asked them to hang out intentionally just you and them get to know them you know i admitted i didn't i was kind of it kind of came as a as a surprise for me like why would you ask that like what no what that's not how guys do it she was like just just and she challenged me you just hang out with at least you know three guys intentionally trying to get to know them. And I was like, huh? Like, that's a bit insulted, to be honest. So I was like, what do you know? What do you, what do you, what are you talking about? You saying I, you saying I can't, you think I, you think I'm dumb, huh? Right. So that was, that was me being prideful there. And, uh, she's like, I, I, I challenge you to do it. And so me being young and prideful of being like, sure, whatever, I'll, I'll do it. I can do it. And I actually, uh, the very next day or the very next moment I got free, I asked some guys around me to, to meet up. Some of their responses were um, a bit funny because they were like, oh yeah, like what's up? Like what's wrong? But nothing was wrong. I just needed to, I just wanted to get to know them. And so I eventually did meet up with those guys. And I think that was the first step in making those relationships last and to really get down to the nitty gritties of things. And it was a space and a time in which we, we had the opportunity to share. I won't say that it worked out, you know, 100% just right off the bat, and that's all we needed was an opportunity. But I do think that was the first step to what would eventually become deep, meaningful conversations and relationships. Another time this kind of happened was, you know, a bit of an older friend. Uh, she gave me the advice to slowly share something I was uncomfortable with sharing um, that time. So each time you meet, just share one thing that you are slightly uncomfortable with 
um, sharing, just, just kind of like push yourself, right, to be the first one to take initiative. Uh, if you want this thing to happen, you know, mount you, you know, foster it in this way. And I remember being very like shocked. I don't know. Like I was amazed, like, wow, you can do that. That's, that's, that's a possibility. And, and it seems so simple now, like, of course, a duh, it's kind of like the song, you know, like, or like be like, be the change you want to see type of, you know, mentality. Hey, if you want, you know, this sort of connection, why don't you be the first to, you know, extend an olive branch, you know, to kind of, you know, pave the way, grease the skids in a way. And she pushed me to be the first to make that sort of move and first step. Whereas before I probably would never have, I would just leave it up to chance, leave it up to feeling and gauging, you know, whether we had a connection, right? It was all sort of under the table, guess, guesswork, but she made it actionable and there were steps and I could actually take my own initiative to make something I wanted happen. She kind of put the first steps in my hands, you know, the first very basic, I feel like those two friends put the very basic tools in my hands, like giving me a hammer and a nail. Like it was just basic tools that I needed to just get started. And looking back, I realized that my perception of how male friendships were made was completely false and fantastical. Before my friends had alerted me how friendships are kind of made, kind of like seeing how the meat is made, uh, I thought that male relationships were were scarce because they were kind of magical. That they needed to occur in this spontaneous and fantastical way. Like kind of like in the movies, like at Love at First Sight, but for dude relationships, you know? We'd meet, chest bump one another, and the rest would be history. Bros for life. I realize now that 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 magical fantastical story in my mind was not realistic but was there because i had no other model there was no other path to friendship than the one i saw in movies which was often depicted by instant magical connection a fairy tale yeah and the reason for that was because no one else had shown me otherwise. The relationships weren't just fantastical, predestined meetings. That they were things that people grew together. That trust was involved. That taking a first step was involved. That it was important and worth the risk. You know, I believe a part of the solution is the advice that my two friends gave me. I, mean, I believe that's the beginning. You know, being committed and sharing emotional vulnerability. Those to me seem like the two first basic steps to entering into masculine relationships. I think that's the start. I think connection is so important. I think we all need it. I think that you know, female-to-female female relationships are needed and special, and guy-to-guy and guy relationships are special, and, you know, romantic relationships, too, 
are, are special and needed. But I think there's, there's more to, you know, what our culture has been telling us. I also think, you know, to put another piece into it, our modern day technology, social media is confusing us. I think it's stimulating and connecting um, people, but it's oftentimes a shallow connection that we mistake as worth something or worth something valuable. I think it's actually isolating people. I'm not saying, you know, a comment, uh, a text is bad. I think we begin to mistake a heart emoji for actually saying I love you. I think there's a disconnect there and that the real connection is made between people, not between screens. You know, I think we'll wither away if we don't foster, you know, our human connections as guys. I'm saying this, you know, mainly to dudes, but I guess for everybody as well. I'm sure people have done it. Hermits and other lone people have done it lived without talking to anybody. But I really don't see it as an ideal model of living. I think we need other other people. We need one another. I think we're just so as guys, ill-equipped, uncommitted, and not knowing where to start. No one expects it of us. No one's modeled it for us. But I think it's so important that we take that first step. Because I think if we don't, really just depriving ourselves of something we desperately need. I think we need to get better at this. I think we need to involve ourselves and kind of commit to it. Like I said, I think the starting things, if you ever take anything away from this, I think the starting is, starting point, commitment and emotional vulnerability. Find the time, commit, get uncomfortable, and get vulnerable. Thank you for listening. This has been The Ponderer. I hope you enjoyed. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to send an email to theponderpodcast at gmail.com. And if you feel like it, leave a review. Other than that, thanks for listening. And I'll see you in the next one.